You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 132. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And stop trying to mess me up. I see you guys talking and mimicking me and mocking me as I do this. It's not right, going to work. Uh, you didn't trip uh, me up. I, I, I don't know what that outburst was about. We'll just keep going, though. Uh, so you can visit us at codingblocks.net, where you can find show notes, discussion, and have a whole lot more. And uh, if feedback, questions, and rants can be sent to comments at codingblocks.net. So if you speak in a language other than English or any known language to man, then nobody else can try and act like they're speaking like you. So uh, follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks or head to www.CodingBlocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zacht. And I'm Michael Outlaw. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by the University of California, Irvine Division of Continuing Education. One of the top 50 nationally ranked universities, UCI offers over 80 certificates and specialized programs designed for working professionals. And Datadog, a cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform that unifies metrics, traces, and logs so you can identify and resolve performance issues quickly. All right. And hey, today we're talking about uh, some Google engineering uh, practices, and we're going to tell you what that's about in a minute here. But first, we got a little bit of news and uh, as we do, got to say huge thank you for everyone that left us review. We've got a, a couple names to shout out here uh, from iTunes. Thank you, Jay Barger, Podcast Devourer. I dig it. And uh, Darachi, thank you so much. And from Stitcher, we have Diamond C. Wait, Dan- Damien C. Damien C. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, that would probably been a better way to read it the first time. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we all know that names are hard. <laughs> proper nouns, Name man. Just all proper nouns. <laughs> Can we do away with them? Uh, we could just go by goods. <laughs> I th- be Wouldn't easier. it be nicer? <laughs> really? I don't think so. <laughs> no. It could be like Star Wars, like Clone Wars, man. You know, just like everybody go by a number. <sighs> No, man, no. I'll pass. I, you don't understand. There was a day not that long ago where I spent all day trying to figure out why the heck something wasn't working. And it turned out that the, the GUIs were slightly different. There was like one number difference in like the middle of them. In the middle. I remember that. Like we spent hours scratching our heads trying to figure yeah. out what was wrong. And oh nobody picked up on that one. It was like yeah. an A was an O or something. Like they were super close. Yeah. Um, yeah. It I, was rough. I, I'm saying let's just go by numbers. You can call me fives. How's that? <laughs> I'll yep. go by fives. You remember in that case, it was uh, the Java library we were using, um, UUID, you would take in like a seed and then generate a number, but then it would like, or two of the bits in the number. So like two of them were always off, but we didn't realize because it always looked like, we thought two libraries were generating GUIs the same way, but one of them just like always generated the GUID and then slightly tweaked it. So frustrating, man. It's insane. So frustrating. All right. So. so my apologies then to Damien for messing up your name. And with that, let's get into discussing the Google engineering practices. So this was a, uh, I'm like 99% certain that this was something that Mike or G shared with us in Slack that I've been saving for a while, but, um, it's possible that I might be attributing that wrong, but I thought, I thought it was at the time. Uh, at any rate, there's a, we'll have a link to this document or this set of documentation, basically, uh, Google's engineering practices that, uh, there's a lot of great content in here and we're going to start with uh, code review and their developer guide to how to perform them. 
So, so before we do this, are we just totally abandoning designing data intensive applications? Or are we just taking a break from it for a minute. <laughs> Is this like a Ross and Rachel thing? We're on a break. <laughs> I think I think we're on a break because that, <laughs> that stuff was deep. So. Uh. We'll probably go back to it, but yeah. All right. So, so the first question is, what is a code review? I don't know. <laughs> Isn't it one of those things where somebody sends you a link and you just go click approve? That's well. I mean, that's the, the reason I say I don't know is because like depending on who does it, it could be very different. Yeah. So we'll probably cover some of that. It, the The definition that they gave on their page was when somebody other than the author of the code examines the code. I mean, it's pretty simple, and that sort of makes sense, right? Sounds complicated. <laughs> it, depending on who reviews it, it can be. Um, so then the next question is, but why? Because, I mean, you guys, I know you remember the days when there, there wasn't any such thing, right? Like you wrote some code, and then you deployed it out somewhere. Or you were like, yo, um, could you give me the link to production so I can copy these files up? You know, it, it, there was a day where that was how things were done. I mean, think 20, 25 years ago, you didn't even have commits. You didn't, or like pull requests. Like you, that wasn't even a thing. You were just like, right. okay, I wrote some code. I checked that file in and, you know, have at it. Trust that I did a good job and that it works. Well, in the days of source safe, remember those? Yeah. It, it wasn't even your stuff needs to work. It was just, Hey, yo, check it in before you leave mm -hmm. so that the files aren't locked. So that when I come in tomorrow, I could get them. Right. Yep. Yeah. And source safe oh, yeah. is exactly what I was thinking of as I described what I was just talking about. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So, so yeah, the real reason here is we're long past those days now, right? Now the day is, Hey, we want to make sure that whatever code is being checked in is actually maintaining or improving the standard of quality of the product as a whole, right? I, I do want to just go back one moment though, because there's probably some people who are new to programming that all they know is the wonder of Git. And so they're like, no. wait a minute, I don't understand why Visual Source Safe was such a problem. So I want you just to just imagine real quick for a moment. Uh, if you, if, if when you needed to check out code, that it worked the same way that going to your local library worked. And being that like, if you checked out that book, no one else could check that book out until you returned it. And that's the way visual source safe work worked. When you checked out that file, no one else could check out that file and modify it until you returned to the file until it you checked it in. So brutal. <laughs> it really was. And that's our, our 1990s in review. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, All right. So, so what to look for then, uh, when we do a code review. So we, we've established that we want to do a code review to, to keep the quality of our code high and to improve upon it. But like when we're asked to review a code, what should we look for? Yep. Yep. And, uh, I looking at the list here, definitely, uh, it's nice to kind of have a list. It makes you wonder like how nice it would be to have a checklist that you kind of were able to go through and, and kind of rate this stuff. Is, uh, if you don't keep this stuff in mind, it can be easy to just kind of look at it and be like, oh, I don't see anything obviously wrong moving along. So it's nice to kind of have a formal structure for this. Yeah. I mean, we'll go through the structure real quick, but it is even some of these items though, before we get to it, I'll say that like, even when I've done code reviews, some of these, I'm like, I don't know how much time I would be willing to spend on some of these areas that they, that they asked for. So one thing that's curious is I, I haven't seen in this documentation, like how much time they uh, expect a reviewer to spend on a code right. review. 
So I think we should do this because I think where Joe is going with this is, and we've done this in the past, is maybe as we hit each one of these bullet points, just say how important it is to us, high, medium, or low, right? Okay. And because I, like I, I think I think that's a good way for us to just throw in, you know, what we feel is important when we're looking at one. Okay. So so up first Don't is like design. Oh, is is it, <laughs> right? <laughs> is the code well designed and appropriate for your system? And what does this even mean yeah, to you that's guys? So nebulous. That's right, such a big right. one. Like this is vague. Yeah. Yeah. Like well designed. Like, wait, I'm supposed to go and like re- rethink and re-engineer. Like, well, you know, you used the wrong data structure here when this other one would have been more appropriate. Like, I don't know, maybe some of those will jump out to you, but this is this is an example of one of those where it's like, how much time are you really expected to spend on this to like Oh, you didn't recognize that this was a graph problem and, you know, you should have solved it this way. Like I, yeah, I think, I think this one might be more along the lines of like design patterns, right? Like, did you use an appropriate design pattern? Was this clearly a factory thing? Was this clearly something that should have been a template design pattern? You know, something like that. So I don't know. I, I feel like that's kind of the stuff you'd be looking for there. And by the way, so I said I was going to share this on the show. The irony is when I started reading this, I just did my first major pull request into an open source repository, like a big one out there. And this stuff drove me crazy, man. I put in this stuff that I was like, oh, man, this makes it better. This improved the functionality. And I've now got 500 comments back and forth between myself and the people who are maintaining the project. And it's... I, I'm not even kidding. It's almost to the point where it's like, yeah, I'm just going to let this die because I really don't <laughs> want to spend this much time on it, right? But on the flip side, I kind of get that they want to make sure that they're maintaining the high quality of standards going into theirs, right? So it's it's a trade-off, but it can be frustrating, especially when you're like, yo, I'm giving you guys something here, right? Like, take it. Be happy with it. Um, but Well, here's some, some things that aren't in other areas is like um, maybe you have some stuff hard-coded that should have been settings or maybe you kind of invented a new pattern for settings or something when there's already established pattern. Um, maybe you kind of reinvented something that's done in it. Like maybe you go out and get uh, customer orders and there was already a method for getting customer orders that could have been more appropriate for your use case. Oh, so this is the design. So I think the important part here is you're basically saying the reviewer has more knowledge of the overall system. And so they can tell you if you're doing something that you designed something in a way that wasn't kosher with the way that the rest of the system works. I like that. It's like, hey, why are you using integer primary keys here when everything else uses GUIDs? Like, right. why why break that pattern? Do you have a good reason for that? Well, right. we're kind of uh, – I mean, I get your point. This is kind of skipping ahead, though, to, like, picking who should be your reviewer, well, right? We'll, yeah, we'll and it would be, like, you know, uh, somebody who is, the like, the owner that would know – like, be able to know – uh you know, I mean, we'll, we'll come back to it, but you know, that's kind of where you're going at it with Joe. So, so how important is this design thing to you guys? Like you outlaw, where, where do you rate on this high, medium, low? Hmm. De- I mean, it's definitely not a low. Uh, it is, it is tough to like, you know, for that person to always know like what was the best way to attack the problem. So because of that, I would say it would rank medium to high. Somewhere in that okay. range. What about you, Joe? I I would say uh, I would say high. Okay, I'm actually high on this one too, based off how Joe kind of brought this to the front, right? Like, why are you not following the patterns of the rest of the product and the code here? Whatever. I think that's super important. 
to keep the complexity of your project down, right? And make, and make developers be able to work in the thing properly. So that one's good. So we're, we're all basically high or medium high on this one. So yeah, like the, the next one that we have is functionality. Does the code behave as the author likely intended? Is, is the way the code behaves good for the users that are using that code? So functionality, what do you guys think? High, medium, low? I'm going to go high with this one. I mean, if it doesn't work right, then it doesn't work right. And I've definitely seen code checked in where the equal signs are, you know, or the whatever. It's like checking the wrong thing in some weird case. I'm same here. Hi. If, it's, if it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, then don't let it in the code base. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this this one goes without saying, right? This is yeah. this is automatically a high. I don't this think anyone one, would ever question. I, it's actually <laughs> shocking to me that it's even a bullet point here, to be completely honest with you. like, yeah. uh, So you needed to add a button that does X. Did you add a button that does X? No. Okay. Well, then this doesn't go right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. Well, I mean, keep in mind, this is uh this is a Google documentation and they did hire Owen Wilson and uh, Vince Vaughn. I saw there was a, there was <laughs> a documentary right. movie called uh, the, interns. the interns yeah. and uh, where you can like see their escapades trying to get inter- uh, hired at Google. So it makes oh, sense man. why they would have to spell that out. Did you see that? <laughs> I tried to watch it. It was not funny. Yeah. yeah, I didn't watch it. I wanted to watch it. I tried to. Um, so next up we have is complexity. Could the code be made simpler? Would another developer be able to easily understand and use this code when they come across it? <laughs> so what do you what what are you guys' take on this one? Low, get good. <sighs> okay, so so hmm. compared to the other two. Compared to the other two, I I would definitely say it's more in like a low to medium kind of range. So, um, yeah. Okay, so we're kind of at yes, yes, yes on this one. I too think that this is a low. However, depending on whether somebody was just trying to be clever in what they were doing, you know what I mean? Like there there can be a case where complexity makes sense for performance or things like that, right? Um, so, so I'm fine with that. And I think that if people don't understand it, then yeah, level up, right? Like (laughs) be able to understand the code. And I hate, and I hate being that way, but this one to me is as long as it's not intentionally trying to be clever, which I have seen code like that, then I think this is a low. Yeah. It really depends on like what you're doing. That's, that's complex. And that's why I ranked it like low to me. And like, if you were doing something like really, really complex unnecessarily. So then I might be more willing to, uh, you know, call you out on it. And like, right. like with the purpose of like, no, 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 you really, this is way too much. You know, you, you need to fix this before we merge this in. But otherwise, yeah, I might be willing to let it go. If it's just like, Oh, I wouldn't have done it that way, but whatever you want to ha- yeah. factory hammer, 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 or hammer, factory, factory, factory. You know what jumps out at me is like the code katas that you've seen where people try and solve a problem that's obviously, you know, should have been a 20 line thing and they do it in a single line with 80 lambdas. And okay, like you went too far. <laughs> that, yeah. th- that's, that's kind of where, where I feel like that's where you can basically say, yeah, don't do something like that. Nobody can read it. Um, but outside of that kind of stuff, meh. Yeah. What about uh, somebody says, I don't need to bring in a third party. I can uh, write a dependency injection framework just for the little pieces that I need that will be simple and easier to maintain. Those people get slapped hard. 
<laughs> yeah, that's got to be a different deal there. That's more along the lines of design. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, we can't even talk about that. My blood pressure is going to go up. Um, so this one, the outlaw, I think you should read this one off. I think this one's sort of your <laughs> wheelhouse here. Huh? Tests. Does the code have correct and well-designed automated tests? I would rank this one as high. I, I, yeah, yeah. I like the idea that you have tests with your code. Yeah, of course, wink. Uh, I definitely also uh, <laughs> wink, rank this one high. Wink, wink. wink. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah. I'm I'm on this one too. Hi, and it's funny because I've always known the importance of tests, but it, it's it's definitely been within the past couple of years where it's actually sunk into something that I feel like needs to be practiced. This is actually something, by the way, that drives me crazy with the PR that I put in the other day. Is I put one in, and the thing that I did, you could create. You could create 500 different tests for this thing. Like it's dealing with dates. Okay. And so just consider the two episodes that we did on dates and date formats and, and trying to convert from one to another and all that kind of stuff. And so I had like, I don't know, 10 tests in there. They're like, well, maybe you should test more. And I'm like, what's the limit? Like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here. Um, but yes, I, I still, I'll rank this one high, but it's definitely frustrating because there's some things that just aren't that easy to do. You went from zero to 10 and your response is maybe we should have more. Uh, man. That's where I would have gotten frustrated. You know, I mean, whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. Like I said, they're trying to make sure that their their code quality stays good. And, and you know, I'm I'm trying to do my best. So, all right. So we've all agreed on all of them so far. All right. Naming. Did the developer choose clear names for variables, classes, methods, etc.? Mike. This one is low in my mind. Mm. Like, I mean, if you gave it some awful names, this, the reason why I give this one low is like, I might call it out and be like, wait, what, why would you name it that? But I'm not going to stop a pull request from being merged in just because you know, you used the variable X and I'm like, why couldn't you give it a more meaningful name? Mm-hmm. Right. Or even if you called some class a helper and I'm like, ah, I really hate the name, you know, helpers and managers and things like that. But I'm not going to stop the pull request for it. Mm. What about you, Joe? Yeah. Same deal. I mean, there's a uh, possibility are really strict about like how things are named and like get methods should only get and stuff. And you know, I, I agree with all that. That's, that's all good. It's all good stuff. But I, I care more about other things more. So I'll, I'm going to put this one as like low medium. All right. I'm going to break the trend here. This one to me is medium straight up. I, I think I, I like X. Yeah. Probably not going to care. Right. But if you have a method name, that's public, that, that things are going to be using, especially APIs, that kind of stuff. I'm absolutely going to hammer you on something that, that is not clear, right? Like this thing says that it saves. What is it saving? What are you doing? Like, like there will be certain things. So again, this one, it's not going to ring the bell on a bunch of stuff, but if, if it's obvious, then it's a medium for me. All right. All right. Comments. Are the comments clear and useful? This should be an interesting one. So this one kind of feeds into an upcoming one in my mind, but for me, uh, like I'm assuming they're talking about code comments, not the comments on the PR. I'm assuming they're talking about comments in your code, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I assume too. 
Okay. And for the most part, I've kind of grown to this style. Like I would prefer you to not need the comments period. Like if you're going to put a comment in, there better be a really good reason why it was needed. The only comments that, that I would like to see in it would be like summary level kind of documentation comments that get that, that an automation tool can like pull out and create like, you know, here's an API documentation for you. Those comments, fine. I'm fine with those. And those should be clear and useful. Yes. But the other kind of comments I'd prefer to not see, you know, they are in line in your method, you know, which to me goes back to the naming and why the naming is so important. And yeah. that's why I made that one a medium. Cause if you have a good name for your methods, your classes, that kind of stuff, your comments should be less necessary at well, that point. In, in keeping in spirit of, uh, you know, things that we've learned from uncle Bob is that, you know, I, I would, if you keep your methods small, to where you can just easily look at it and reason about it because it's only a few lines long, then you shouldn't really need a comment in a, a short method. So you're so outside of public API type st- stuff, like what you were talking about, th- things that generate Java docs and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You're kind of a low on this one. Well, because of the other, because of the summary level documentation, I'm kind of like torn on how to rate this one. So I'm guess, I guess I would call it. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I'll go with low. Low, sure. Okay, Joe. Um, I you know medium. I don't love comments, so if, if I see a bunch of useless comment or if I see commented out code, then you know I'm not too keen on that. But uh, yeah, I mean same with that. Like, it's not the worst thing in the world. And there's definitely been times that I've read comments and code and been thankful that they've been there. Um, so I you know I could I could let that one slide. Low. All right, oh, I low. think. Yeah, I think I'm also a low on this one. It's I I think after going through the Uncle Bob thing with the whole comments and all that and and like you said, smaller methods, all that, I I too would rather the code be easier to reason about, but I also do agree, and this is one thing that drives me crazy about most open source projects is sure, they'll put in comments that create your Java docs that are that are just one step away from being useless because yeah. <laughs> they'll tell you, Hey, there's a variable here. Uh, it says file. Um, okay. It's a file name of what, what is it right. saving? What, what, what is this? Or right? it'll be a method named like get customer ID. And the documentation says returns the customer ID. And you're like, really? Right. <laughs> of what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, totally. Yeah. So, Oh, if you're doing public API stuff, I would probably bump this up higher. But in general speaking, I would uh, I'd go low here. Well, I mean, like by public doc- API, though, you you really mean like if it's summary or Java doc kind of documentation. It doesn't yes. mean that it has to be yes. an API that's made available to the public. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Exactly yeah. what you said. Okay. All right. So next up, style. Does <laughs> the code follow our style guides? I I'm sure that we might be all over the board on this one. If you have a published style guide and you've gotten people to agree to it, then it better fit the style guide. If you don't have a style guide, then, then no one gets to say crap in my, you know, my opinion. Like you don't get to enforce your personal style preferences unless you've all agreed as a team to go with one. Okay. So this, I think the way that this thing is worded assumes that there is a style guide. So does the code follow our style guide? So in this case, how important is this to you when a pull request goes in? Okay. This Google absolutely has a style guide and right. they link they to do. it in this in this article. So what about you, Outlaw? Is this a high, medium, low? Um 
Well, okay. So here's the thing. Like personally, if I'm reviewing it, it's kind of like a low. And the reason why I say that is because you can catch this with automation tools totally. to where you don't have to like, I don't have to like ha- memorize the style sheet, the style guide in my head. And then, you know, look, cause I've definitely had pull requests that I've submitted to other re- re- repos before this. Like, nope, you didn't follow the, uh, the style guide. So it got rejected. And I'm like, oh man, what did I miss? And then, you know, so I, I'm kind of like, for for me as a person to look at this one, I, I look at it as low. And I think you said medium, Joe? That's a high. You said oh, high. You said if high. you have a style sorry. guide, yeah. I'm sorry. So I hate, like, if your code base, it all looks the same. Like, uh, I remember a time when we had a bunch of variables that were named me in JavaScript to represent the scope. And, you know, regardless of whether or not you like that variable name, that was, it was there everywhere. And one person came in, oh, yeah. decided they didn't like it, and so they did self. Right. And so, and this particular framework made a lot of use of that. And you would see self, 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 self. And so you always knew, like, when you were looking at their code. And so it was just, you know, annoying to me to, like, see, like, oh, the function here above it is me. The function below is me. You know, everywhere in this code is me. The function in between is self. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just kind of, it, it felt like a, a big F you from that person to say, you know, like, I'm not doing it your way. This is, this is the way I like it. And I don't but, care about you. But hold up. You just said you were a low on this a second. No, no outlaw no. said he was low. You said you're high. All right. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. I'm a high. If, if one person or a minority of people are flouting the accepted rules, then I think it's, <laughs> yeah, not cool. Okay. So on this one, then I'm probably splitting the difference. I'm a medium. For for both the reasons that you guys said. So one, there is automation tools, especially for typed languages that can catch most of that. And it will actually fail the build, yep. right? Uh, so from that regard, I shouldn't even be looking at the PR if it hasn't passed the build, right? That My opinion, don't send me the pull request until this thing's passed the build. So that's one. On the other side, though, there probably are some tooling, like, I don't know, SQL. I'm not sure if there's a bunch of style guides that are enforceable for things like SQL that maybe it's not. But but here's where I'm torn, and this is me being a jerk. Like, if somebody makes a style guide and they tell me that um, you have to do Hungarian notation, I'm going to be like, no, I'm not doing it, right? Or or the type where they put the type at the front of a variable, like, yeah. I won't follow it. I Wait, that to. is Hungarian notation there, right? Is that Hungarian? Yeah. yeah. Like, I... I will try and sneak in and change the style guide, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I'm probably a medium on this one. I, I think it's important that people follow at least with the conventions that have been set. Yeah. 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 And that's uh yeah, I guess it's, if everyone doesn't agree on the style guide and that's kind of a different story, but right. I, I mean, at some point you just gotta, you know, commit and, and move forward, but still. And then the last one that we have here, documentation, did the developer also update relevant documentation with whatever the code was that they wrote? Hardly ever. No, no, they don't. <laughs> Maybe it's important, but they don't. Come on. But how important is this to you? I guess if it's a public API or something, you know, if that's really what we're talking about, then it's super important. So if the documentation matters at all, then it's probably very important. So it's a high to you in some cases. If the documentation matters, which so rarely does. Yeah, it's a tough one. What about you, Outlaw? I'm going to go medium. I mean, like it, it, it really is going to vary by project. Uh, if you, if your project already has good documentation that is being shipped with it, then yes, you, you would need to update it as you change things. But more often than not, like the projects that I'm working in, you don't have that luxury. So it, it's, 
this isn't a thing, you know, this doesn't come up. Yeah. Like, Cause it's not like we're shipping. It's not like the developer is shipping the documentation with it is, is my point. Right. Right. Yeah. The apps that we're writing are not the codes not being used, the applications being used. So it's, it's a different thing. Uh, for me, this one's tough, right? Like if I'm, if I'm writing something as a developer that other developers are going to use, this is a high to me because this is where I feel like Microsoft kills it. Like they are so good, right? Like if you go to a Microsoft documentation page for how to do some code, typically they'll have the code there. They'll have um, the syntax. They'll have the variables. They'll even have some nice human written descriptions of what they are. And then they'll have some examples, right? Like that to me should be the standard that everybody should shoot for when developers are going to be the consumers of the documentation. Oh yeah. They've set the bar high. They set the bar super high, and that's where I get frustrated with open source projects in general. Is like <laughs> theirs is we're building something, um, you know, go dig through the code and figure it out, right? And uh, I mean, it, it it raises the barrier of productivity to extreme levels when you're digging through tons of Java code or tons of C sharp code to figure out how to do something. Right. So, so to me, this one's a high depending on, on who the consumer of that documentation is. Did you know that Google also has a big guide on technical writing? No. On the same website. No. Yep. I'll put a link in the show notes. Cool. So, so you were a high on this one. Yeah, I was a high on this one. All right, so I've been taking some notes here, and uh, my my uh, oops, wait, where'd it go? Lost my mouse. I, I you were like a little bit more optimistic about like, hey, we all agreed on these than I was, and uh, by my count, we didn't. So <laughs> looking through it now, uh, wait, that can't be right. Google, you messed me up. Uh, we matched on like five of them. I want to say five of eight or something. No, no, we didn't. Really? really? We only we only all agreed on three of them. We agreed really? on functionality, tests, and comments. I we all said time we were all basically the same. I think you had said like medium high or something, right. and we were like high. Oh, so you're making those distinctions? All right. Well, yeah, because that enough. counts, right? Well, like, we were supposed to choose three. You wouldn't change the rules on us. Well, yeah. <laughs> this is. Like refer back to the functionality and whatnot. <laughs> Our style, see, see the style. Right. I, I was like, no, forget it. I go use self, um, and that was really awkward when you were talking about me there, Joe. Um, <laughs> yeah, we only agreed on functionality where we all said agreed that, that was high. Tests where we agreed high, and comments where we agreed low. But everything else, you know, there was, uh, it was, it was, well. I was going to say it was always two to three, but there were two of them that we all completely disagreed on. Uh, so the, the ones that we, the three of us completely disagreed on were naming, uh, where you, Alan was a medium, Joe was a low to medium and I was a low. And then style was the other one that we all three had a different opinion on. So Alan medium, Joe high and me low. But the other ones that we didn't agree on, there was usually like two of us were on, on the same side and, you know, somebody else was the odd man out. Cool. So cool. the next up we have is how you pick the best reviewers for the code. 
And this one's interesting. And I mean, I think we all three do do similar things on this. But um, the first is get the best reviewer you can. And that basically means someone who can review your code, who has the knowledge and can do it within the given time frame. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's something I definitely uh, am a big believer in. So I don't like the idea of throwing it out and just saying anybody. But I mean, don't get me wrong; I do that all the time. But I uh, I try not to if it's anything less than you know if it's anything more than trivial. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is it really depends on what the pull request is. Um, if it's if it's a pull request that is really minor, then I don't care. Like you know, let let everybody get a little bit of uh, you know understanding into how the system works, even if it's a part that they're not you know intimately familiar with, right? You know, if it's something, if, if the pull request is something simple as like, you know, you, I'm trying to think of something like really simple, but like maybe you renamed a variable, for example, like Alan didn't like my previous one. And so, yeah, or there was a typo. Yeah, sure. There was a typo in the UI. And so you, you correct that then, then fine. But when it's, when it's a decent pull request where it has like, you know, functionality in it, then I definitely go after a, a, a reviewer who is most knowledgeable in that specific area or maybe most recently familiar with it because because code evolves too. So the person who might have been like the original author and, and owner of it, you know, two years ago might not know squat about it today. Right, right. And this is this is one of the things that they point out here. So the best reviewer is the one who can give you the most thorough review and to your point. That may just be whoever's most recently been in the files, right? Not not the original creator or whatever. It's kind of on you. Now, one of the things that they said about this, and this was interesting, I didn't dig into it, is they said this may or may not be somebody that's in the owner's file. So it sounds like they have some sort of cataloging of where they put people who are the owners of certain portions of a system, Right. And and I know the three of us have talked about this with the companies that we've worked with over time because on big systems it can be sort of a pain in the butt to find out who, uh, hey, who owns this over here? Yeah. And and if the, if you got fifty people on a team, that's a lot harder than if you've got three people working yeah. on a team, right? So Especially when everyone's like, nah, not me, I'm busy, right, right. So I, I don't know. I didn't I didn't dig into that one, but that is interesting that they said it may or may not be somebody in the owner's file. So, you know, you kind of gotta go find basically what they're getting at is it's sort of on the person who coded it to go find the right person to do it. Um like when Outlaw said that or or I think it might have been Joe said, you know, sometimes I'll just throw it out there and be like, Hey, whoever approve it. And and what we're talking about is like maybe you're on a system like Slack or Hangouts or 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 Microsoft Teams and you'll just throw a, a pull request link out there and be like, Hey, somebody go look at this, right? Um when it's something more important, then it's not, hey, let me throw this into a public lobby. Let me throw mm-hmm. this to Joe Zach because I know that he worked in this code last week. I need him to look at it. Yeah, and their next point here, too, is that like different people might be needed to review different portions of your changes. And this one actually hits close to me, like, you know, close to the heart for me because it's actually a pet peeve I have with, um, so, you know, we use Azure DevOps and I love Azure DevOps. There's a lot of things that I love about Azure DevOps. It's, it, it, you know, it, it, it makes a lot of things in your life simple, right? But one of the pet peeves that I have is that you can set up a, a policy so that when you do, uh, 
want to create a pull request into a particular branch, you can say, Hey, this, um, uh, the, the, the pull request will require X number of reviewers before it can be approved and merged into that particular branch. Like, let's say you wanted to merge into master, right? And, you know, you might, you might say, okay, fine. Let's say you, you have to have some kind of a branch policy on it to exist. And it, but if you do have a branch policy, then that means that you as the creator of the pull request can just say, Hey, you know what? When all of the branch policies have been met, auto complete my pull request and merge it into master. Right. All of that sounds great and wonderful. And it is, but where it falls apart in my opinion is in the case where it's like, okay, let's say that I know that I want to have multiple people review this pull request because it touches a couple different pieces. And so maybe I want somebody who's, uh, you know, more familiar with, uh, the, the data portion of our application and like, you know, the rules about like how we, how we get to the data, uh, what data is available for what reasons? Like, am I even adhering to the standards of like how, you know, I'm accessing the data. And then maybe there's like a, you know, somebody else from like a front end tier, uh, that I want to have review some of it and some of it from a middle tier. Cause you know, as full stack developers, we, we're, we're committing pieces that touch all parts of the system. Like that's kind of in our job title. Right. Right. And, and, so you might want to have like in that case, three, three different um, reviewers. Well, you know, if you have a, a branch policy that requires fewer than that, you can't, you can't as the author of the pull request say, Hey, do not automatically merge my pull request in unless all of these people that I, that I suggest approve it because if right. any one of them rejects it, I don't want it to automatically be re- uh, approved. But instead what happens is, Let's say that the policy was two people are required to review it. And if they, if they approve it, then it automatically gets merged in and I have a sign and I want three people to review it. Well, the first two to review it, boom, it's done. And then the third person comes along and is like, well, why did you even ask me to look at it? It's already merged in. Yeah. Basically what you're saying is you can't override the behavior on right. a single PR. You basically, you set the policy for that branch and that trumps everything. And that, that does kind of stink because I've definitely run into that before. You could turn auto merge off, but I, well, I like that. You can, yeah, right. So, so that's the alternative, right? That's how you get around that that lack of ability to override. Is instead you say, "Well, I just won't turn on autocomplete," right? But now that's kind of eh, I don't like that either because then it's like, "Hey, what if you know I want to give this thing to you and I'm going to be out of town and I'm, I'm going right. out of town, right? Like I want I want it to be able to autocomplete whenever it's ready and agreed upon, right?" Yeah, it's definitely a shortcoming of the tool. Um, the last thing that they mentioned here that I think is important, and I think all three of us probably do this as well, is if the best person isn't available because they're swamped, they have other things that they need to do, you should still CC them on whatever the CL is, which, by the way, in, in all of this stuff, we're talking PRs. Uh, so pull requests, that's sort of a get term, I think more or less, maybe it's a more standard universal type term, but in the documentation, they refer to everything as a change log. So a CL, so change list or change list. That's right. Um, so they're just saying that, Hey, if, if you can't find, like, if Michael's not available, I should still CC him on that change list so that he knows what's happening. And, and maybe he can't do anything before the thing gets merged in, but he might have some thoughts that, that you might go in and and after the fact go in and change those things, right? So 
It's Remember a good back practice. in the day, people used to put the changes like at the top of the file. Oh, Remember those? Yes. Those are awful. I hate. That yeah, stuff. you have like this long header file of people maintaining yeah. it. Like, you know, it added this or whatever. Yeah, August twenty sixteen. Yeah, Michael yep. touched this file to add blah blah blah. blah. I hate yep. that. It's better if your changes. It like encourages you to do changes in one file rather than multiple because it's just kind of weird to right. Like, Add a change to support something. Yeah, and you add that in 10 places. Yeah, it's annoying. Yeah, not a fan. But you don't want to be the one jerk that, like, breaks the chain. Like, you see, like, oh, man, this thing goes back to, like, 1997. I'm going to be the one that uh, doesn't add to the top here. <laughs> you got to buck the trend, man. Yeah. I've actually been that guy. Yep, same. So, yeah. I guess I would have broken the comments and style portion and documentation of uh, what to look for in my code review. <laughs> That's right. Those are highs, man. Really? Uh, All right. So, so next up they have is a section called in-person reviews. And I thought this was kind of interesting. Like they, they said that like, Hey, if you pair program to somebody that would have been qualified as somebody to have done a code review, then you can consider that code review. Don't worry about it. Right. That can be merged in. See, I didn't agree with this one. Did you? Oh, I totally do. I, I completely do. I, I see it so biased. Uh, no, but again, it's if the person was qualified, like not just pair program with anybody, but if you were the creator or the owner of a chunk of code and you're pairing with me, then you should be giving me constant feedback during that pair programming thing, right? Here's the reason why I don't, I, here's the reason why I thought this one was, um, why I didn't agree with this one is because it's kind of like saying, Hey, you're the owner of it. Nobody has to review your code. You're the owner. No, but you got two people working on it at the same time. Right. So so let's pretend that one of those is an intern that's just starting and you're mentoring oh, him. And okay. now and now he yeah, you're pairing with him, but you're the owner of it, and now it doesn't have to be reviewed because you're quote the owner. I still think that like even if there were the two people and even if one of them did happen to be the owner, as you suggested, it should still go to like an unbiased set of eyes to take a look at it. I can see that. I think that that's more of an edge case than the norm. So, so yeah, I, I, I see your point, but I'd still say that on, on a large, a large portion of the time, this would probably be okay to, to merge in. Yeah. Totes. I'm fine with it. No. <laughs> Outlaw trust. Nobody. Yeah. He's got a trust. Nobody policy. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one was, um, you can also do reviews. And this one was really interesting because I've never done this. You can do reviews where the reviewer can ask questions and the coder is only allowed to speak when answering those questions. So the coder can't go in there and be like, Hey, let me show you everything I did. It's they have to keep their mouth shut until they need to answer a question. It felt like a very rude way to say it. Yeah. Where it's like, you will only speak when you're spoken to, sir. Like, ah, 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 I didn't yeah. ask a question. Stop it. Simon didn't Stop. say. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of like it. I kind of like it because that, that almost puts the reviewer in the mindset of, I need to understand this stuff on my own. Can I understand this by going through and looking at it? And then if I need to ask a clarifying question, I can. Right. And, and so instead of somebody leading the witness, 
the witness can go through and find out what they need and then inquire about the things that they, they need some additional info on. Now, the three of us, though, have worked in it from the opposite form where like for a code review, you would have a reviewer and then you would walk that reviewer through and say like, here's what I did here. Here's why I did this change. And, you know, that way the person reviewing it doesn't have to like spend their afternoon trying to reason about what you did, why you did it or whatever. You could just like walk them through it and then they could immediately go like, Hey, wait a minute. You know, why didn't you just use like a Bellman Ford algorithm here or, you know, whatever, you know, they might come at it with their, uh, their infinite knowledge. <laughs> right. You, know, you should probably just get three different reviews and take the average of the uh, approval. <laughs> and, you know, it even kind of makes sense to have two different people implement the work and just pick your favorite, you know, maybe even more. <laughs> oh, man. If you got those Google dollars or whatever. <laughs> Google dollars. <laughs> uh. Oh, man. This episode is sponsored by the University of California, Irvine Division of Continuing Education. Maybe you've heard of this thing called Python. Python is one of the fastest growing programming languages and UCI's Python programming certificate program will prepare students for opportunities in web development, data analytics, core software development, and a wide range of scientific and mathematical applications. Students will learn programming concepts, including programming styles, idioms, libraries, data structures, data retrieval, processing, visualization, and networked application program interfaces and databases. UCI certificates in data science, predictive analytics, and machine learning will prepare students to gain the necessary skills to land the job in data science. Additionally, those interested in predictive analytics and machine learning will learn to improve and optimize business performance. If you're looking to become competitive in the global marketplace, advance your career, or start a new one, UCI has the resources to support you on your new path. And let's face it, right now is an awesome opportunity to take advantage of remote learning. Registration is now open. Visit ce.uci.edu slash coding blocks to learn more and reserve your seat. That's ce.uci.edu slash coding blocks and reserve your seat today. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Go, go on to the bathroom. I got this. Yep. Yeah. You guys take a break. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's just us. So, uh, I I got us uh I got us crypto jacked. We got ransomwared. Um, it's a bit of a problem. And uh, this is Joe, by the way. <laughs> uh, being silly again. Allah and Alan uh are out of the room, and uh, I made I I made a big mistake. <laughs> and the only way to get me out of this <laughs> is with more reviews. <laughs> oh, if you can go to cuttingblocks.net slash review. Uh, that helps us find more people. More people means more money. More money means I can pay off this ransomware and get my WordPress back. So I'd appreciate it if you go to cuttingblocks.net slash view and hook us up. Cause, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, that's, uh, everything's good. Yeah. That, hey, so if you just, uh, like, code blocks, everything that's going here. Yeah, everything's everything fine. Good? Everything's fine. Okay. Good. We ready to do this? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. WordPress is great. Let's do this. But, okay. <laughs> WordPress. Huh? Did you have a pull request? Survey says. <laughs> <laughs> That's my line, sir. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> All right. So uh, with that, let's get into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. All right. 
Um, so a few episodes back, we asked this very important question, uh, to just find out like, how much are you like Mike? And <laughs> the question is, do you leave your laptop plugged in the majority of the time? And your choices were all the time. Pfft, I don't care about the battery. Or, no, I try to maintain my battery's life expectancy by neither fully charging it nor discharging it. Or, no, but not because I care. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's say Joe goes first. Which one do you think is the most popular answer and by what percent? Okay, so I remember that McDonald's won the French fry contest. <clears throat> Um, <laughs> based on that, carry the one, uh, I'm going to say, uh, all the time. Pff, I don't care. Uh, and I'm going to give it, um, oh, I don't know, 30, 30, 40%. 30, 40. 30, 40. 30, 40%. All right. Very good. Does that mean 35%? <laughs> like I need a percent. What's the percent? What's the number? I'm oh, sorry. Uh, 30, 40%. <laughs> you did it again, sir. You I got that. We're good. Because I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to also jump on this bandwagon of nobody's like Mike. And they're going to say all the time, Pfft, I don't care about the battery. And we're going to go with 41%. So it trumps his 30, 40%. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So Joe goes with all the time with 30, 40%. <laughs> and Alan goes with all the time with 41%. And the winner is it's Alan. Of course it is. Wow. It's probably like 70% is, is my guess. It was 68%. Ooh, wow. yes. My peoples. Wow. <laughs> How many people actually did what Outlaw does, which is, by the way, I try to maintain my battery's life expectancy by neither fully charging or discharging it. How many did this? 5%? No. <laughs> Six? It was, it was more than that. Gosh. It was, I don't know, 8%. <laughs> Shut up, man. Don't judge me. <laughs> But you know what? That 8%, they're, they're on top of it. They're a really smart 8%. All right. Let me give you guys a little story behind the scenes. Oh, jeez. Here. here we go. So, so Outlaw, who is the- Outlaw lines up his battery before he puts the- <laughs> Yeah. Before he salts it. <laughs> no, so, in, in all truthfulness, like, he is the most uh, meticulous about maintaining this stuff, right? But- We've both had the same like MacBook Pros for years with the companies we've worked with, and his turned into a rocking chair well before mine did. Meaning the battery swelled, did all kinds of nastiness. Right? I don't know that I had ever unplugged mine <laughs> outside of being like. But I'll yours was outside. swollen too. In fairness, the difference was I I had mine repaired. Yeah. Two years later, mine started to swell. So while you babied yours, I abused mine and treated it like every person should treat their computer. And and mine went a lot longer before it turned into that swollen rocking chair. So, yeah, I, I, I'm sure there's some truth to this actually saves your battery a little bit. But I'm of the opinion I don't want to think about it and I'll just buy a, a replacement when it when it's time. So... 
You know, it's uh, funny. My wife hates stuff not charging. It drives her nuts that like my phone isn't at a hundred percent all the time. So she's constantly going behind my back and plugging stuff in. <laughs> yeah. So like, actually, I do. Um, I I am more like outlaw. I'm not uh strict strict about it, but like, uh, if I'm done with something, I I unplug it. I don't need it charging. So I'm you know, I'm constantly somewhere between twenty percent and eighty percent most of the time. Really, uh, man. There you mm-hmm. go. Dude. You don't see my phone right now. Boom. Anyone want to guess what the percentage Coding is? blocks. 66% is in this category. 84% actually. Mine but, is uh, yeah. 100% and plugged in. Because yeah. <laughs> that's what it needs to be. I don't want to think about it. Yeah. And my wife is constantly, I'm like, where's my phone? I know it was on the couch. She's like, it's plugged <laughs> in. Now you're welcome. <laughs> that's not what I wanted. I wanted it on the couch. Oh, man. Wait, wait, wait. You have a Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. Do you charge that to 100%? Uh, no, actually, I did the same thing. Actually, just right before we, when we were coming up, uh, she came up here and she asked for the switch because she assumed that it wasn't in its proper place charging. <laughs> and it actually, it was for once. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. She didn't even, she doesn't even check there first anymore. She just automatically asked me because who knows? It could be anywhere. That's for the record, hilarious. my phone is at 92%. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So 66% of coding blocks follows my. Rule of thumb by not the eight percent of the people yep. out there. Eight percenters right here. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm talking about of of the right, host. Sixty six percent of this yeah. crew followed eight percent of the rest of the world who decided to vote on that. You know, I mean, I'm just saying we're we're a very <laughs> smart crowd, and uh, yeah. Hey, listen, when your computer stops working, you'll know how to find us. Hey, that's I'm going to come steal your battery because I know it'll have been treated right. Well, you won't be able to. I'm sorry. Apple glues them in. <laughs> I know. <laughs> God. All right. So how about for this uh, survey, for today's survey, I thought this would fit well with our uh, topic here. Do you always include new or updated unit tests with your pull requests? <laughs> I see I see Joe wink, winking. Wink. It's like really painful to watch him try. <laughs> it doesn't look like he's really practiced at it. No. <laughs> <laughs> winking does not come natural to you, sir. Nope. All right. So your choices are yes, of course, not a psychopath. Or not with every pull request, but more often than not. I mean, what kind of psychopath has the time to do it for every pull request? <laughs> or lastly, no, I rarely include any tests with my pull requests. My friends think I'm crazy. <laughs> uh, did we ask a uh, question about how many people unit tested? And it was like 20%. <laughs> yeah, uh, nobody. It was yeah. like nobody. So we're get, we're going to get 100% of those 20% that answer these questions. <laughs> well, Y'all's or math is hey, crazy, hey, man. hey, give them some credit though. They that it, that that uh survey was a long time ago. They may have grown personally since then and now they do a lot more unit tests. You don't know. That's true. You, you know what? I I am actually stunned that Joe Zach, the king of having a 40% um Saying that somebody's going to win with forty percent of the vote when there's two answers, calling out our math abilities. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you going to talk to me, Mister Pavilions? <laughs> hey, these things need to scale. <laughs> That's, <right. laughs> That's all there is to it. You can't you can't argue with internet scale? Oh God! 
<laughs> we have we have a true or false question. I'm gonna go with true and thirty <laughs> percent. Pretty sure I won that one. Just saying. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Joe, Zach, you have some epic moments that have been recorded for the internet to, uh, your math and your cheese dust are definitely up there, sir. (laughs) Yes, they are. Although uh, we've gotten some interesting tips on how to get the best Dorito out of the (laughs) Dorito bag. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, uh, from, uh, uh, man from, uh, the, uh, .NET core show, uh, his brother actually had a really nice tip for uh, laying the bag on its side uh, and then souffleing it open with a interesting kind of knife or something in order to vertically be able to uh, sift through and find the best note. Oh, but dude, that just that's such a mess. Then what are you going to do? Assuming you don't eat the entire bag in one sitting, <laughs> like that creates another Wait, problem. Right? You're assuming you didn't. Yeah, right. I only well, I mean, eat the best chips. <laughs> Dude, Joe, I remember you actually posting a picture mm-hmm. on Amazon <laughs> about yep. some Lay's chips that you bought. <laughs> it was amazing. I it was amazing. This. <laughs> it's still up there. It's the top review for that one, by the way. <laughs> oh, man. I want to go back and find it. What was uh, it again? Ch- it was cheddar. It's um, cheddar and sour cream <laughs> chips on Amazon. Let's see if it's still the top review. Uh, oh, the rating has dropped. So, so just just for people who are not familiar with this, because I'm sure nobody is. I don't know that we've ever talked about it. He had to. Leave, he he was probably one of the first people ever to buy a bag of chips on Amazon. Because like, who doesn't do that at the grocery store? But he was worried that when they came, they're going to all be crushed up. Right? Like that was the concern. Like you got the UPS guy kicking the bag of chips around. That's going to be a problem. So his review. Take it away, Joe. Uh, I haven't, I'm, I'm not having uh, a good time finding because there are like several different like ways of, I, I don't know, just, uh, the way they have, uh, there's like 20 different kinds of chip now for this kind of chip. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, the whole point was he basically took a chip out of the bag and he's like, they're not broken at all. See this chip. And he had it like next to, was it your hand or your wife's hand? It's, uh, it was Sarah's hand. Yeah. So I've never gotten chips from, you know, delivered before. I always got them from the grocery store and I was worried that it'd be all broken. But man, they weren't every single chip in this bag that I got. <laughs> Was perfect. It was like perfectly round. Everyone was giant. Yeah. And one of them I put in my wife's hand, it was like the size of a potato. It was like the whole chip. <laughs> you would never get that at a grocery store. UPS did better than the grocery store ever did. This was like right when uh, they, oh, I found it, Joe. You did? I did find it. Yeah. This That's was, awesome. This was right when uh, Amazon first started delivering food, if I recall. We, yeah, we yeah. need this link. This has got to go in the Here show it notes. is. I, I just sent you guys the link. Uh, oh, wait. I'll put it in the show notes, though. That's, that is So that amazing. I can remember to... Uh, oh, then you guys can see my other reviews. <laughs> yeah, this should be Ooh. interesting. Ooh. <laughs> we might have just opened up Pandora's box here. Wait, I don't see it. Do I not see my own reviews? Yeah, no, uh, no, you no. To- you go to, scroll down to all customer images, and then... You can scroll down. Yours is toward yours is like one of the first like seven uh, or eight pictures, you know. So you got to scroll down to the bottom of the list and you'll see this giant chip in a hand. Man, and there are so it, many sure pictures enough, of this. Yeah, I, I Man, think I that I think Joe said uh, he was a trendsetter here. How do you not see this? Really? 
I'm actually trying to get to. Hold on. This is ridiculous. I gave you guys I, the link, right? Look at the link. I'm going to. Oh, most recent. You can't go to. You have to go to all reviews. Yeah, yeah. Click on, no, just click on see all customer images. Oh, here we go, and then scroll down to the bottom. There yeah, yeah. Go. Click on see all customer images. Scroll at the bottom of that, and then <clears throat> it's on the second to bottom row, or at least That's on my amazing. screen it is. You'll see this gigantic chip <laughs> being held in an open palm. Yeah, man. Look how big that is. <laughs> and he says, we saved it for a while. <laughs> I like yeah. how Joe still gets excited about it. Look how big that is. Look at this flawless execution. This is from 2013. That is amazing. Yeah, man. Well, if you looked at newer reviews, aren't uh, so kind, man. I, I see things, people talking about bugs and chips and people complaining about them being broken, man. This is... This is at the the prime. <laughs> this is at the peak Amazon period, 2013. <laughs> this is back when I still worked for him. That's that's all you know. Today's episode of Coding Blocks is sponsored by Datadog, the unified monitoring platform for real time observability and detailed insights into Docker performance. Enhance the visibility into your container orchestration with a live container view and easily detect clusters that are consuming excess resources using an auto generated container map. Let's face it, guys. Like. In, in a Kubernetes kind of world today, you want to know what's happening inside your pods. You want to know what your containers are doing, and you need a tool like Datadog so that you can easily see what's going on. And it's hard, but that's okay because out of the box, Datadog collects critical metrics from each Docker container so you can get immediate visibility into aggregated and disaggregated service-level traffic. So try Datadog today by starting a free 14-day trial and receive a Datadog t-shirt after creating just one dashboard. Visit datadoghq.com slash codingblocks to get started. Again, that's datadoghq.com slash codingblocks to start today. All right, so now we are back with how to do a code review. And I guess this is where the, the rubber meets the road, right? Um Wow, we, we talk a lot. <laughs> it's already an hour. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So here, we'll, well, we'll try it's not going any faster with that kind of talk, sir. <laughs> yeah. I just, I looked down and saw the numbers. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. All right. So we'll, we'll kind of try and blow through these. Not really, but whatever. Um, so first is the standard of a code review. And, and we said it at the very beginning. What, what is the purpose of it is to make sure that the quality of your code is improving over time. Now, Always. Th- this is where those, uh, what were they, that the, the standards that we reviewed, like what to look for. This is where that list of things come into play because yep. there's going to be a set of trade-offs. And that's why, like when we were ranking things like low, medium, high, it's like, well, would I block a pull request for this? Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. And this is why. Yeah, the the first bullet point's hilarious to me because developers actually need to accomplish a task. (laughs) It's so true. It it, it goes back to this PR that I have into the open source project. It's like, man, like, I don't know how many times I want to go back and forth. And and I'm not trying to throw stones at these people that I'm, that, that are trying to, you know, ensure that my pull request is perfect. But it's also like, man, you guys are going to wear me down to the point where I'm just going to abandon it, right? Like, I'm just not going to deal with it. And, and that's, you know, I, I hope it doesn't come to that, but you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, if, if the reviewers are, are difficult to work with, like they're overly critical, then you're just, 
de-incentivized to bother, right? You ever see a bug in uh, GitHub and you like start reading through the comments and you see that someone's fixed it and there's a pull request and you click the link and it's never been merged. There's like six comments going back and forth and it's never merged. You're like, oh no. So frustrating too. That's more often than not too, especially on really big projects. I know, I know that the three of us have, we've been working with Kafka and Elasticsearch. I can promise you there's been so many bugs that you go out there, you search, it comes up in, in a PR and it's just been sitting there for months. And it's like, really? Like somebody did the work. I, I think that's the one thing I would say to um, anybody that manages an open source project. Yo, if you're, if you expect people or, or, or want people to help improve your product, you better be willing to jump on and look at those things, prioritize it. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was some project recent, I don't remember which one it was now where like what you were saying, there was a, a pull request and this one had been sitting out there for like a year that had gone unmerged and it was like, well, if you want it to work, you just got to check out that particular, uh, that particular branch. That's ridiculous because then it's a pain over time to maintain your local version of that thing. Right. Cause you need the latest changes they've done, but you also need the side PR that was never, it's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. yeah not a fan. <clears throat> um, go ahead. It's still the duty to make sure that you're using quality and you don't want to record the program and create over time. Right. Moving right along. All right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's still the duty of the reviewer. So it's just uh, speaking to the responsibility of the reviewer. And, uh, you know, obviously no one wants the health of the product to uh, degrade over time. And I also like any of my code review because then if there's some sort of problem with it and anyone wants to point the finger at me, I can be like, well, Outlaw proved it. So, I mean, he sucks too. <laughs> So you like being able to have a, a finger to point at somebody. Yeah, I'm taking you down with me. That's how it works. <laughs> it's awesome. I, that's not how Git blame works, sir. Yeah, like who wrote this crap? Like, well, you approved it. <laughs> uh, and and they do mention here too. Again, the reviewer still has the ownership and the responsibility to make sure that they're they're ensuring a high quality standard, right? And it's a trade off, right? It's a balance. You can't expect your pull request to go in perfectly every single time. On the flip side, the reviewer should balance out what's important when doing these things. Mm-hmm. And and you I know, really loved this quote that they had in there that that above all else, right? Like the reviewer should favor approving the changes when you know when the code health is improved, even if the changes aren't perfect. Because they go on to say that like there's no such thing as perfect code, right? There's, there's better not. code. There's better code, but there's no such thing as perfect. So like you know, in your pull, when you're reviewing a pull request, don't you know, hold it to some stand unachievable standard and say like, well, I'm not gonna let you merge it in until it's perfect. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, they also say here reviewers can actually reject a set of changes, even if it's quality code, but they feel it doesn't belong in our system. This goes back to the functionality thing that we all said was a high for us earlier. Like why would code be now? Maybe, maybe somebody wrote some code thinking that it should belong over here, but really it should have been in some other layer, right? So I, I totally get that. Um, so maybe that's what it is, right? Like maybe you did something in, in the data layer that really should have been in some sort of reporting layer or something like that, right? Like I can get that and I could see totally rejecting it being like, yo. This this is not something that you do here, right? You need to take the same code and port it over here. And that reminds me of a, a, a 
problem I had with the JavaScript package a while ago where um, I was trying to to do something with it, and it turned out that the the code I was using had like a built-in minification step, which is just, just kind of weird. And I was bringing it in this pocket package for something else. And I already had a minification step, so it was doing this extra work, and it, there was a problem with the way they minified. So I, I sent out a pull request and like tried to add a flag to disable like this package really shouldn't be doing minification too. You know, like that's it's just it's not appropriate here. And I never heard back on. It. I don't know what happened there, but um, yeah, it was just a the, it was a weird decision where maybe somebody needed to do that, and rather than using two packages, they tried to kind of shoehorn it into someone else's project. It was just a weird weird problem and it, it had downstream side, side effects that weren't good and then later if people are using other tools for minification or whatever it is uh, other tools that are better and you know whatever and if you can't separate that stuff out of your program then you've you're going to get replaced right uh going back to the to the quote that outlaw liked a second ago that one of the other things that they mentioned is re- reviewers should not seek perfection they should just be seeking constant improvement is the product being improved? Is the code quality either improving or, you know, maintaining status quo or whatever? Now, here's where there was another idea that they had in here that I really liked, though. So they say that, you know, this doesn't mean that as a reviewer, you have to remain silent. You can still point things out. But if something is just like <clears throat> maybe not a showstopper, but you're just nitpicking on something like, hey, this is something where you could learn and improve upon better. <clears throat> Then they suggested prefixing the comment with the word nit, N-I-T, hmm. so that uh, that the developer of the change list could see like, oh, this is one where I, I don't necessarily have to do this change in order to adjust the pull request so that they like it enough to, to approve it and uh, merge it in, right? But it's still something that they could like know that like, okay, hey, you know, when I, if I get around to it, like this is something I could learn from. I like it that they have a standard for what they prefix it with. However, I hate the word nit because it feels like when I hear nitpick, it automatically sends off like uh, almost like overly. I don't know the way to put it. It's almost like um, it's exactly what nitpicking is, right? Like it's picking at little things that shouldn't matter that much. And I, and I feel like typically if it's something worth putting a note on a pull request, it shouldn't be a nitpick. It should be, hey, yo, side note, you know, what you did here is fine, but, you know, maybe consider doing this because it would overall improve things and it's more in line with what we're doing, right? So I, I don't know. Like, but you got to like, feels yeah, but you need critical. something, you need some kind of identifier there so right. that, so that the other developer knows that like, hey, this one, this comment isn't critical to your pull request right. getting merged in. Right. Yeah, I think I always put, hey, this isn't a blocker, but, you know, blah, 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 which is obviously a but, lot longer than the but word But in nit, typical but. Google fashion, though, they needed to compress that. So they compressed <laughs> it into three letters, which is nit. Right. right. Oh, man. I actually love that they didn't even call it nitpick. They just used it's nit. It's just nit. Right. Yeah, nit. <laughs> and if you think about, like, the size of their repositories, that might matter. And that is – that's absolutely true. Yep. The, the next one that's fu- – this one's sort of funny to me because we've all been in these situations, but they basically say any code that worsens the quality of the product shouldn't be allowed in unless it's an emergency situation. And that's mm, – right. Well, I, I'm going to take us down a little tangent here because then it was like, okay, what constitutes an emergency? 
Right. And they actually, you gotta love Google. They actually document what constitutes an emergency and what doesn't. Nice. And so quickly they say that it's a small change that either one of these situations is true. And again, small change I think is important here. Uh, It allows a major uh, launch to continue or it fixes a significant production bug impacting users or it addresses a legal issue or it patches a security hole. Those like are, that. those are the four things that in Google's mindset constitutes an emergency. Now, the things that they say do not constitute an emergency, I love these because these are awesome. Uh, you just want your change in sooner rather than later. <laughs> or yeah, you've worked hard on the feature for a long time and you just want to be done with it. Or the reviewers are either away or they're in another time zone. Or here's our favorite, because it's Friday and you want the code merged in before the weekend. Yeah. Or your boss says that it has to be merged in today because of a soft deadline, which they actually go and define what are soft versus hard deadlines. Um, or lastly, what doesn't constitute an emergency is that rolling back causes test failures or breaks the build. So the boss one is really interesting to me because half the time emergencies not defined here are emergencies because the powers that be have told you we have to have this in today. Yeah, right? I found that one super interesting. <laughs> and so I'm like, wow, that's uh How many times have we been in a place where our boss has been like, that's gotta get in today? And you're like, I don't know, man. Google says your your definition of emergency doesn't count. <laughs> you're yep, wrong. Yep. <laughs> I mean we've all at some point during our career had a situation where that's come up. So you know, yeah. I, and uh, now I just want to be like, I can't wait for the next time for it to come up and be like, Mm-mm, Google says. <laughs> I like it that it's this well-defined because it does make <laughs> it to where at least a developer can have the confidence to be like, I should not do this. right? And, and you can point to it because it's a policy sort of, I guess it's a policy by Google, right? At least if you work for that company, you'd be like, no, we can't do this. And this is why. Now, here's the thing too, though, like to, in fairness, <clears throat> the one about your boss is the way they actually worded it was like, they were just saying a manager says this. And I was kind of like interpreting that as like, okay, but you know, if it's, does that mean like a manager above you? So then technically they're your boss at some level, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if they're higher up the tree than you like, I, I, so I don't know if they mean like a boss, a manager who's, maybe a peer like, yeah, he's technically a manager, but he's a manager of other people and just, you know, happens to be one of your peers or he's some manager. I don't know. Yeah. That one's harder to say, but, but still, I think that's a nice defined set of rules as to what constitutes calling something an emergency and allowing some bad code to go or some, maybe not even bad code, just not up to snuff code. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Code code that doesn't necessarily live up to the quality of the rest of it. Those are, there's four situations that they allow it to go through and they make sense too. Right. Like, I mean, they do. If you had some major legal issue where it's like, Hey, you can't use this library because of X, Y, and Z. And you're like, okay, well we just got to like cut it out real quick. You know, 
you just got to go, it might be gross how you do it, but you got to get it done because, you know, you don't want some uh, GPL license affecting your, your code, for example. Right. Um, so the next one that we had up was mentoring, which I thought this was good. Code reviews can be a great tool when you're actually mentoring people. I know I've used it this way. I'm sure you guys have too. Like if you have an intern or you have um, somebody that's, that's newer to the organization, it's absolutely a good learning process, right? Like, Hey, you have a ticket you're working on, you guys put it in the thing. And then, you know, it's easy to go in and look at that and be like, Hey, I like what you did here, but be aware that this is actually something that affects these other two things over here that you may not have known about. Right. By the way, mentoring though, it doesn't have to be like, you know, someone who's, uh, you know, new. Yeah. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to be like the Jedi master and the Padawan. It could just be like, I'm new to this area of the code or this technology or this stack. And, you know, somebody else who's like spent some more time in it is, uh, you know, could help you along the way. You guys, there's only one pull request that I absolutely remember from, from all my years doing stuff. You guys remember when Vlad joined us at, at Amazon? We had him on long time ago talking about a spectacular, right? But mm-hmm. he looked at, he looked at a pull request. He's like, these variables are being boxed. <laughs> I never heard anybody ever refer to the technical term of, of, you know, basically taking a type variable and throwing it into an object before. I'd never heard anybody use that term. And we had just done like that episode not too long in the past. Yeah. We all like looked up what? over the wall of our cubicle and we're like, what'd you just say? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. okay. Only pull request I ever remember. A lot. Awesome. If you're out there, we miss you. Yeah. Yeah, we do. He, you know, he's actually working for AWS now. So Ooh. he's, uh, he's one of their architects, I think. So. Oh, nice. Congrats. Yep. yep. Cool. All right. So All right. the principles. principles. Am I going or are you going? You guys can't go silent right after you both say it. Why don't you got to say something? You got a, ra- a random back off period and then try again. <laughs> oh, okay. That's how it works. My random All right. I'm going to go. Going. Oh. <laughs> All right. Technical, the technical facts, facts and data. data overruled opinions and preferences. All right, Alan, take it. <laughs> <clears throat> so, principles, technical <laughs> facts and data overall opinions or preferences. So, that's pretty pretty sound. Good advice there. Um, the style guide is the authority. If it's not in the style guide, it should be based on a previous coding style. Otherwise, it's personal preference. Assuming that you have a style guide. I, I would not be surprised if most places don't have style guides. Uh, probably create one's a good idea. <laughs> Well, no, but I mean, this is covering either if you don't though, right? Because like they say, if you don't have have a coding style, then it would, if there isn't a style guide, then it should go on the previous coding style. So in the example that Joe gave earlier of the me versus self, if everything else was going with the me variable, use me. then, and you come along and you're like self, 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 then it should technically be commented or uh, commented in the pull request to be like, no, 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 this should really change. Right. Yeah, it's. I think having a style guide though is a nice thing, right? Being able to point developer, especially when you get to teams that are bigger than just a few people, right? And then that way everybody gets on the same page. So you're not going through the pull request telling people to do things, right? You can basically tell them before they ever do some of this stuff. Hey, here's a style guide. Go look at it. 
You know, you know what's nice is that if you don't have a style guide, you can just go find somebody else's. Yeah. Every language has one. You can just go find it. And if there's multiple competitors or people, you know, disagree on which one's the best, just have a vote and pick one and just move on. Yep. Yeah. But I've, done. I, I don't know about you guys, but I've definitely been in situations where I've had team members where there is a style guide that we have agreed on that is like, say, you know, uh, let's say, for example, Microsoft's like, hey, here's the style guide for, yeah, this particular language or whatever. And and everybody agrees like, yep, we're going to follow the Microsoft style guide for that, right? And then you have team members that don't follow it. And you're like, hold up. We have a style. Right. We've agreed on this style. Please follow this style. And then repeatedly the developer's like, eh. You know, every time you comment on it and you're like, okay. It will point only like I'm doing my part as you, a reviewer to like let right. you know that we've agreed on this standard and you're choosing to ignore me every time I say it. And that only happens if it ultimately gets approved by somebody else, right? And this goes back to what you were talking about with the problem with some of the tooling where it's like, hey, if anybody hits approved, then it's in, right? If if it was truly blocked, like, yo, no, you will fix this, go to the style guide, then I guarantee that kind of stuff stops. So it's almost like a cultural type thing uh, that, that you have to enforce, which sometimes can be harder. Yeah. Well, let's go find the one other person that agrees with me and then uh, get them to approve all my pull requests. And that happens. <laughs> In, yeah, it in, does happen. in a team-based, you know, environment, yeah, that definitely happens. Yep, yep. There, there are people that I've worked with in my career that you know I never saw their their pull request because they would never bring it to me. Because you're very thorough, and they don't want that, right? Yeah. I, so I don't know that that's why, but I just I wouldn't get it. Yeah, that's that's basically it. Um, the the next one is the reviewer may just request that the code follow the existing code base pattern. And if there's no style guide, which is kind of what we just said. So, yeah. you know, it's yeah. all fine. So then they have this next whole, one's fun. Yeah. They have Go a ahead. whole section on like resolving conflicts. And at first I was like, Oh, they're, you know, I'm here's stupid me and my stupid git mind. And I'm like, Oh, merge conflicts. I'm, I know all about this. That is not the type of conflict they're talking about, sir. No, they're talking about fistfight conflicts. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, if there are conflicts between the coder and their viewer, which this will happen if you do this long enough, it will happen. They should first attempt to come to a consensus based on the information discussed here in, in this guide that we're discussing, as well as what's in the change list author's guide or the reviewer's guide. Now, we haven't gone into all those. That'll probably be the next episode where we dive into some more of this stuff. Um, so basically look at what's allowed, look at what you're supposed to do and try and come to agreement on that. Right. It take, take the emotion out of it and use the facts that are available. If the conflict remains, it's probably worth having a face to face to discuss the issues and then make sure notes are taken to put on the code review for future reference for other readers of that pull request. Right. So, Hey, Joe, Zach, I don't like your, your code changes. You and I are going to talk about it. We're going to make some notes. We're going to put it on the PR and hopefully that resolves it. And if it does, we'll hit approve with the comments on there and everything's good. Right. If, however, <laughs> you still have it come to a consensus, then it's time to escalate. And, and what they say here is actually what I've seen happen in the past is you'll basically escalate it to a larger group. Right. At that point, you're not trying to be a one-on-one -on -one type thing. You're going to get the opinion of the team and potentially a team lead or somebody that's, you know, a principal or lead in that group to, to sort of weigh in on the topic. Right. And then that way it's not me versus Joe Zach. It's, Hey, what does the entire group as a whole think should happen here? The different kind of mediator pattern. <laughs> it really is. 
Honestly, and you know what's funny? Like, and I know that you guys have seen this because we've all been through like the Amazon interview loops and that kind of stuff. These are the type of questions that come up in the HRE type of things, right? Like, hey, when you have a disagreement with somebody, how do you handle that, right? And, and honestly, this is the path that you're supposed to take in general terms, right? Talk to the person. If you can't resolve it, then raise it up to the larger group of whole. And then that way it's not a me versus them. It's a, Yo, what does everybody agree upon here? And, and it takes the bite out of it, or it should. Yeah, I'm going to need some more specifics on that. Uh, what was the date that it happened? Uh, <laughs> what did your manager say? How did you feel about it? Star. Um, Welcome. Yep. And by the way, it is funny. I, I don't know about you guys. Developers tend to be very tied emotionally to the code that they write. And so it can very much be that if you reject a pull request that somebody's put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into, that emotions can run high and this stuff can happen, right? And, and, and it may not be the intent of the reviewer to tick somebody off. And it's also probably not the intent of the coder to have ticked somebody else off. But, but when you've spent hours and hours and hours doing something that maybe you weren't even that fond of doing in the first place, it's really easy for people to get electrically charged on these things. I think it makes sense though. I mean, like this is, this was like you thinking like how to solve a problem and then somebody else comes along and be like, nope, not good enough. Right. I mean, depending on how, how they approach that response, it can, it can definitely set you off. You're like, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not good at managing other people's feelings. Like I can't even manage my own, you know. <laughs> like, don't put that on me. It, like we got a conflict. It's it's time for paper rock scissors. <laughs> and you said it wrong. It's rock paper scissors, man. How do you say paper rock scissors? <laughs> what uh, what game I've, are you playing? I've never heard this. I, what? Hey, we're gonna Google this. That wait, paper. I bet it don't even come up with anything. Rock scissors. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors, Wikipedia. No, it's man, a different game, man. You're hurting my head, dude. Put in a pull request. I'm going to deny it. <laughs> um, I, so, I thought it was just Rochambeau, though. Maybe like... I'm going to Rochambeau you for it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't so, understand how that's a thing either, by the way. Isn't that the French? Is, that, of it? is that what yeah, it is? I, I would think so. I, I don't know how to spell any of it, so I couldn't tell you. But at any rate... All right, so the last little bit we have here, and this is super important, especially if you have a fast-changing code base, don't ever just let a pull request or a change thing sit around because a coder and the reviewer can't come to an agreement because all that does is hurt the product as a whole, right? I mean, we've we've all seen it happen. A pull request sit out there for a week or two, and by the time that you want to actually hit commit, so much stuff has changed that people have to go back in and modify the code to make it work again. So it's a waste of time, right? So you need to try and come to agreements quick and escalate things quickly if they need to be, but don't just hold things up. Yeah. Just merge it. <laughs> true. true. Yeah. That's the real like lesson it. here. Just and that it. is why I sent my pull request to Joe. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Like, I don't like it, but one, two, three, four, let's be able to thumb more. All right. Well, uh, we will have uh, plenty of links to this uh, set of documentation in the resources we like. Uh, maybe even a link to uh, Joe's chip review. 
<laughs> which yeah i mean you you never thought you needed to review a bag of chips until know, but you saw how big it was you see Joe's <laughs> review. Like, you think i'm gonna sit on that one that was a miracle <laughs> all right so with that we head into alan's favorite portion of the show it's the tip of the week i totally forgot we still had this section how about that what <laughs> all right all right. Well, it looks like I'm up first. So, uh, just today, uh, my buddy, uh, over at Yala Coding, uh, YouTube channel, which you should follow, streamer, awesome. Um, he sent me, uh, you know, I've been doing streaming challenges online, uh, every day in at Leak Code. Uh, somebody went through and, uh, did a, a speed run on them. And I believe it was his first time, uh, doing them. And he, he solved all 30 of them in one hour. Wow. And, uh, this guy is a programming, uh, like a competitive programmer. Uh, he might even be in high school, <laughs> maybe a prodigy. I don't know, but, uh, he, uh, he competes. He, uh, does himself on YouTube doing like coding challenges for basically uh, like, uh, Google contests, Facebook contests, all sorts of, of contests. And, uh, he wins quite frequently <laughs> and, uh, we'll put the videos up online of him doing these kind of coding challenges. And, uh, he also has quite a few tips on like how to, uh, kind of program at that level, which is like a whole other kind of set of skills. He just blasts through. Hard problem. So you can see him like, uh, in the speed run, uh, videos. I was watching, like, he kind of scrolls through and he's like, okay, XOR, blah, and then, like, spits out the code, moves on to the next problem. He's like, okay, this is, uh, like, he kind of classifies the problem, knows how to get there fast, and, uh, and goes there. So obviously he's got a lot of time in there and just really good at it. So it was just cool to see when, uh, someone solving problems at that level and just to kind of, uh, see how he approaches the problems. Dude, so I'm going to watch that. Yeah, it's That's cool. awesome. When, when you guys were in college, did you ever do any of the, uh, ACM competitions? No. I found out about it like right before I quit mm. and I took one <laughs> class and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Program challenges. And now I still like programming challenges. Oh wait, no. I mean like, did you actually compete in the competition? Not as a class. No, oh. no, I didn't know that they had it. But then um, I, when I took the class, it was, it was, it was like the only class that was like, scheduled, like fitting up my schedule was a class called problem solving and it had never been offered by the school before. And I was like, well, whatever I need an elective. So I took it and the guy's like, Hey, yeah, I'm the, like the programming team coach here. And I was like, we have a programming team. We have competitions. Anyway, so it was like, this class is kind of based around just, uh, you know, writing code quickly. And it was my favorite class. It just turned out. Oh, That's wow. Cool. I wish we had that. Like I, so I did the ACM competitions twice while I was in school and my team did horrible in it, but it was more like, uh, you know, we would be in like a C plus plus class and the teacher would be like, Oh, Hey, by the way, um, there's this ACM competition coming up in like uh, next week and we would like to be able to send a team to it. Is anybody interested in going? And it was like really afterthought. It wasn't like a class devoted to it, like what you're describing. So yeah, I mean that, that would have been interesting to see like how I might've done had there been a class for it, but yeah. That's all. Yeah. It was really cool. And uh, yeah, there was um at the time I'd, I'd been working, I, I worked all the way through college uh, and uh, I, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I'm already, I've been coding for years. Like this class is going to be no problem. And then there was one guy on there who was on the programming team and he just kind of did this stuff for fun. And man, he just like every problem we had, we had like three hour lab. He just like, and then just hang out and do different things and have fun with it. I was like, crap, uh, maybe I guess I don't know how to do this as well as I thought I did. Yeah. It was really interesting because like, uh, you know, like I said, like we were at, in a C plus plus class at the time. And both, both times that I went, it was the C++ team that went. And so like we would go to these competitions and we were coming at it from, uh, you know, trying to solve things in C and C++, uh, you know, 
after school, I later worked with a colleague who um, turned out, it turned out coincidentally that he and I competed against each other. And each year he was on the winning team Mm. when I went and they used Java. And so um, there was just a whole different mindset of the way they attacked the problems. And like, even as coworkers, like I would look at his code and, and like his way of approaching something was just like radically different. Like I'd be like, Hmm, no, this is going to pad. This is going to fail my uh, pull request, you know, or, uh, you know, code review of your code. Cause like we just had such different styles about it, you know? Um, yeah. So it was interesting. That's cool. You know, what's really crazy is that kid probably, or I don't know if it's kid or not, but that guy probably makes more money than everybody else that we know. Right. Winning yeah. competitions, doing these, these uh, things. The competitive programming guy? Yeah, yeah. I think he's in, still in high school, maybe. That's awesome. It, it, it doesn't mean that he doesn't earn more than us. There are kids on like YouTube <laughs> that are like eight years old making more money. It, yeah. it reminds me of the episode that Outlaw turned me on to of the Darkneck Diaries, where people would go and do the competitions at, um, uh, what's the what's the security conference? Oh, uh, Black Hat? Black Hat, yeah. They they always have competitions, and it, it was just crazy. People staying up 48 hours working on these things. So um, maybe we'll find a link and put that in there, because that was a really fun episode to listen to. Yeah. So there you go. All right, Outlaw, your turn. So uh, I have two for you. And um, I, I want to say that this first one I found, uh, this was uh, mentioned in our uh, Slack channel. Probably there's probably a good chance that this was Mike or G that uh, said it first. It was, but I I saw Angry Zoot uh, talking about it. So uh, because of where you know what our current new normal is, uh, Microsoft Build event is usually a big deal to get to go to that. Right, like it's usually a costly endeavor and it's a pretty big build, uh, big deal if you get to go. But this year nobody gets to go. Uh, and so they're doing everything digitally online and free. So I'll have a link in the show notes, but they, um, if you're following along, register.build.microsoft.com, May 19th through the 20th uh, for the Microsoft Build. And following suit, a- Apple with the WWDC conference, June 22nd will also be free this year. So I'll have a link to that one. And that one is unfortunately a much longer uh, URL. So I'm not going to bother to read that one. (laughs) Little bit. Little bit. Yep. That's really cool. All right. So my turn seeing as I was clicking through to those websites. So in the vein of this show and in vein of the pull requests that I put in that I've now had, uh, you know, a very lengthy back and forth on. This whole thing that we talked about or that Outlaw mentioned at the beginning with styles is he doesn't care that much about them because you can automate them. So if you're doing Java development, which is basically what I am now is a Java slash (laughs) sometimes Kotlin slash sometimes any kind of developer, I'm doing Java. There's a thing called check style for Java that you can basically build into a pipeline and it's what in the world? Yeah, it's a link to our Zoom. So just join in on our call right here. And we'll oh, have this link have in our show thing? notes. Uh, hold on a second. Well, I'll find I'll find the right link. Yeah, that's all, Jack. Well, there's a link but, below it, so I don't know if that's the link you're looking for. No, that's a separate one. Or if this is like an Obi one thing, and like this is not the link you're looking for. Man, that's so ridiculous. So, so this thing is called Check Style. I'll get the real link. I mean, in it there. does link to a Check Style plugin for uh, IntelliJ. That's the second link. So that's what I was going to say here. I got the real link back in there now. Ah. So check style for is on SourceForge. 
And then the there is a plugin for JetBrains that I couldn't get to work. But assuming that you can get it to work, it will actually set it up so that if somebody has put in their project the check style file that basically tells it what types of endpoints you're allowed to do, how much space you have to have between braces, ifs, all, like it goes super granular. Before you actually go try and commit and compile your code, it will actually throw errors for you in the compiler so that you can go back and fix that stuff before you go in and put in a pull request and do all that other kind of stuff. So this is this is one of the things in the Java world that is the equivalent of what Outlaw was talking about. And there's all kinds of things out there for different languages, but this is one that I found and it's a... Uh, you know, it, it's pretty neat. It seems to do a really good job of things. Like it can get as granular as the order of your imports in your Java, right? Like you have to put these certain types of imports up above these other ones and all that. So um, pretty neat stuff. Yeah, there's, there's, it's nice to be able to have that in for a tool. Like when I was talking about being able to do this inside of a pull request, I was thinking of like the, um, the, the one that came to mind specifically was the Python black library. Mm. Uh, for the code format, the uncompromising code formatter, as it's called. Interesting. Yeah, I know this one is built into the Maven build that was used on the open source project. So it worked both locally and when you put in your merge request up on GitHub, it would also run the build up there and fail it if any of those check styles were were failing. So, yeah, I mean, again, there's tons of these things out there, but it's worth knowing about and and possibly getting them in your pipeline because then instead of developers arguing about tabs versus spaces, you can let the tools tell you that you did it wrong. Yeah, that it was supposed to be spaces and then... Right, yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> tabs. <laughs> no, spaces. Okay. <clears throat> All right, well, uh, so hope you enjoyed this uh, episode and... Uh, in case that a friend happened to share a link to to this episode or whatever, you know, if you haven't already subscribed to us, we'd appreciate it if you would. You can find uh, uh, links at the top of our page for iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all your favorite podcast apps. And if you have a favorite that's not uh, that we aren't aware of that uh, you know you couldn't find us on, let us know, and we will make sure to rectify that issue. And uh, as uh, oh wait, did we do the beg before? I don't know. I think I stepped away. Yeah. No, Joe, Joe oh, did. He okay. did. Yeah. Yeah. When you guys we were, were in the bathroom we together. Here. Yeah. yeah. We weren't yeah. here. <laughs> right. You, you guys were yeah. in the bathroom. Yeah. Okay. That was weird. So yeah, that was, that was awkward. <laughs> so yeah. So you can find some, some, uh, you know, if you haven't already left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. You can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. My lawyers say I'm illegally allowed to yeah. still say that. <laughs> Hey, and while you're up there, do definitely check out our incredible show notes, our our discussions, and get involved. And and Joe, hey, uh, follow Twitter uh, at Twitter uh, Coding Blocks. Head up the page that has the top at the feedback, questions, rants, and Slack. I don't know if he had a stroke, if I had a stroke. I'm not sure what happened. So I'm playing competitive Overwatch uh, right now. And oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, I got like 10 seconds. What's up? What do you want? Not a go, go, go back. Go you back. Mean, we'll review something. I'll stamp it. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh.